0: Today on the Tech Bytes podcast, we talk with sponsor Nokia about its SR Linux network OS. And more specifically, because SR Linux is open, customers can write homegrown apps that solve specific problems using that NOS. Is this a good idea? Do customers actually do this? Here to discuss is John Lundstrom. He is director of web scale business development at Nokia. John, welcome to the podcast. So vendors do like to talk about openness, but is an open NOS something that customers actually want? Are they taking advantage of it? Yeah,
1: surprisingly, they are actually really in need of more flexibility and control of the NOS uh, to fit their unique needs. But actually making that easy to do is paramount. Unfortunately, legacy NOSs aren't architected for this.
0: So what about Mm -hmm. SR Linux then uh, enables this quote unquote Mm -hmm. openness or flexibility?
1: When Nokia designed the architecture of SR Linux, a key goal was actually to enable extensibility. That meant starting with standard Linux, you know, our proven protocol stack from OS, Yang models for everything, and some modern management interfaces like GNMI and, and GRPC. And, and that's not necessarily new, and, and, you know, other vendors are out there doing similar things. But on top of that, we actually built infrastructure which allows other applications to tie into our system. So we're using things like standard protocol uh buffers or protobufs to communicate between all of our own applications but anything else that would be running on also as a microservice
2: you're actually going to run apps in the network device, and they're going to do something for you. Now, quite often we've talked about this as being possible, but today we're gonna to talk more about what people have actually done.
1: Yeah, ab- absolutely. It, you know, I wanna give you guys great examples of how our customers are actually leveraging this in their real environments. And that's not something that uh, that really has been possible before now.
0: So you're using Protobufs, GRPC, GNMI, um, Yang modeling. Do you also have some kind of development kit that folks take advantage of?
1: Yeah, the NDK, we call it, you know, making sure that that was easy to use actually, you know, was kind of key. You know, I I see actually similarities with how my kids have gravitated to things like Minecraft and Roblox, (laughs) which are also very highly flexible and very intuitive to kind of get started. So we kind of are taking a page from that and we know we built some onboard documentation for all the Yang models where absolutely everything must be defined in the box.
2: And I think the other thing here is that Nokia Development Kit, NDK, I'm, I'm guessing that's what it is, but I bet money on it. But that's what it is, right?
1: Yes, yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think the interesting part here is that you're putting a lot of effort into this. You're promoting it. You've been on the show several times and we've talked to you a few times over the last year or so about the idea of programmability in Linux and about the NDK and touch more. But this isn't just something that's, you know, like with a lot of other networking vendors, they just say, yeah, we've got an API ask us about it. But you're actually saying this is actually a key differentiator from your perspective.
1: Yeah, customers want that flexibility to go in, but we have to make it easy to consume. So when you use things like protobufs, there's actually compilers out there for a variety of different programming languages. So operators don't have to go and learn whatever programming language our apps are built in. They can build them in their own language. That just makes it easier for them to interact with our system to put those applications. And then we did things like added in lifecycle management of the apps. So whether it's our app, you know, could be BGP, could be LLDP, or whether it's somebody's third-party app that they've loaded on, they all have to have a Yang model. They all can use the northbound interfaces of GNMI and GRPC to control them. That, mm-hmm. that makes it consumable now and, and really kind of opens up the possibilities.
2: And I think also we've seen a maturity in terms of people saying using APIs, to program instead of you know the move away from clis and the use of containers inside the sr linux there's a whole bunch of underlying activities there's a whole um, approach to using developer like tools or using the modern way to go forward than we've seen before it took a long time though didn't it
1: yeah it, it has and you know that was you know kind of a key investment that we made up front it's this infrastructure that then enables customers to you know really do what they need to or what they want to t- depending on their particular business model needs
2: Hmm. Now, these apps, are, are they homegrown or are they buying them from third parties or developing them by third parties or whatever?
1: Actually, so we've been working with customers to help them build. Some of them have been built by customers themselves. And we actually intend to, of course, work with partners as well who may offer that as a mm-hmm. service to help customers build, uh, you know, different types of apps for different types of functions.
0: So let's get into an example then, because I think that would really help make this more concrete. Do you have customer stories of folks who are building their own apps and then running them on this network OS?
1: Yeah, absolutely. But maybe before we start, one of the more interesting things that we discovered while we were, you know, kind of, you know, pitching this and talking with customers about it is, although their engineering and architecture teams are very interested in the NDK and agent support, it's actually been the operational teams that have actually been driving the use of these features. Huh. They're the ones who are actually going to take advantage of of what these apps can do. And I've kind of found that there's three different categories of customers out there that our agents are helping there's those who don't want to change their model or operational model yet. There's those who want to, but need some help. And then there's those who are actually eager to change because their existing solutions are actually hindering their growth.
0: Okay. And is that one of the examples we're going to talk about a customer who's just like, I I need to change my operational model right now? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, let's, let's go through these.
1: We have an example of a customer who, you know, doesn't really want to change their operational model. And it's really because of you know, they need to get a new solution into the network, but has to work into their existing op models in order for them to kind of meet their needs. So this was a customer who wanted to do or has existing solutions that do BGP control plane security. In this case, when a config changes and a new peer is added, an ACL is added to ensure that that communication can happen with that, that far end remote uh, BGP peer. Well, that wasn't a capability to automate this uh, that was embedded within SR Linux. So we used an agent and worked with them to develop one which instantiates the ACL, when it hears that there's a configuration change of adding a new peer, this saved time for the customer. They didn't have to wait for a new feature from us, but it also, and maybe more importantly, didn't force them into an immediate change to their operational model. Mm. So it simplified that that kind of transition mm, right. of a new technology into their environment.
0: And I mean, in some ways that could be the most difficult thing for an organization is changing an operational model because that just comes, you know, people are very familiar with how they do things and getting them to change can be hard. So finding a way to build an app that actually fits into what they're currently doing can make a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, and and that's actually a great segue to to the next one. In this case, the customer was willing to change, but they had a concern about impacting their existing customers who are using a legacy technology. In this case, they had a static EVPN uh, VXLAN environment from, from their existing vendor, but they wanted to move to a more dynamic EVPN using BGP model that our SR Linux solution provided. Now, to interwork these, it wasn't easy. There was some control plane work would have had to been done on the legacy vendor, which they didn't want to do and would have taken a lot of time. But it also Mm. didn't make sense for Nokia to go and build support for some uh, legacy static EVPN feature sets. So mm-hmm. the middle ground here was actually working with an agent on the ne- network element that enabled this interworking. It actually, in this case, advertised the MAC addresses from the static side into the dynamic EVPN, so that tunnels could automatically be created from
2: dynamic endpoints on the uh,
1: the SR Linux devices. Yeah, this is a great example of being <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the fact that it saved six months of work.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, I was actually thinking that in the past they would have, be, uh, you know, put in a feature request and you and gone to. Bat for, you know, with the product manager asking you to add this to the to the product, and you would have gone like, I don't want to. I just this is just a product that only one customer or a couple of customers wants, and it makes sense that now they can say, well, and in, and and not have to wait six to twelve months for you know to get approval, and then for it to go into development, and then for it to have to come out in a the version, they can probably in a few months actually develop you know, an app that goes into a container that emulates this static EVPN functionality that you're talking about and get something working without having to go through all this other pain. Is that unreasonable or am I off the mark there?
1: Six weeks. It took us six <laughs> weeks to get this working <laughs> with this customer. Um, yeah. And yeah, they've uh, they've implemented that. And I would say that's a, a pretty good, you know, re- return on uh, on the investment for them yeah. instead of waiting for 12 months.
2: Yeah, or more for it to come out in the code. And I think the other thing here is that operations, we're seeing a shift. It used to be design and strategy got to make all the product decisions about how it looked and the design was done. And then it used to be put in and that was it. Operations just got what was thrown over the fence and they just had to keep it the same. This is a case where operations is actually now saying, we need to change something and we can and we will and we do. And that's, that's kind of like NetOps as I see it. Because the opportunity was there, because the product supported this, you can do this type of thing.
1: Yeah, it was a bit of a perfect storm. We had built the architecture in SR Linux to support these third-party agents and the NDK, and it can be consumed very easily. So the you know the the barriers to for the operations teams to actually go and make these changes or build little apps uh, was you know th- that bar is pretty low now, and you know it's really opened up the possibilities for them to you know do things that either you know they do today and they want to do similar. Or mm-hmm. to try new things, kind of uh, important for them as they continue to grow and, and, and see, uh, see new challenges in their network environments.
0: So of the three types of customers you've been working with, the, the third one I think we haven't covered yet is customers who are really looking, they're, they're champing at the bit to do something new.
1: Yeah, we have a customer, uh, a very large customer who was uh, eager because they were being held back um, by the architecture that they had. They needed a variety of different agents and they've they've really leveraged a variety of different, you know, embedded functionality now in uh, in SR Linux. So they started with distributed analytics. They had an existing a toolkit for their solution, which was pulling in a variety of different derived analytics into a northbound system, doing reporting, doing state monitoring, etc. Mm-hmm. The format that they were receiving that in from the, the, the other devices in their network was not the same that we would have been sending it on our GNMI interface. So they put an agent onto our device, which actually just switches the format of what information they can (laughs) gather from us and sends it off to their northbound system. This eased the integration into that northbound down system significantly.
0: So essentially just doing some basic translation or reformatting. (laughs) It sounds
1: simple, but when you now you know, push it out, make it distributed out onto the actual network elements, you're saving more compute power back at wherever that northbound system would have had to do that translation itself as well.
0: I'm guessing then this is an organization operating at significant scale where something like this could make an immediate difference.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They, and then they, you know, extended that to, to modeling things like, config deviation so they're actually checking and monitoring for the config deviation with uh an agent that lives on the device so whether somebody you know as part of a troubleshooting exercise was making a change to configuration they know when that's happening and this helps them avoid things like configuration drift Uh they at the scale that this customer is working at consistency and uh you know and uh, of of configuration across all their devices is actually how they kind of live and breathe so that's that has been you know another agent for them has been been monitoring that and helps uh, helps maintain that for them
0: so this is something they built custom to make sure that uh that they've got consistent configuration across a huge fleet of devices
1: Absolutely. The third one is uh, is helping them monitor for configuration variants when they are doing the installation process. So you can imagine boxes, big boxes, 288 mm. ports getting deployed and all the cabling that has to be attached to them. They now have an agent that's running in SR Linux. When that box boots up, it goes and checks a master database, says what ports should I have configured? What ports should those be connected to on far end devices? And it checks the the link state database on our uh, device to check what Information is being advertised by the neighbors and and actually compares those to make sure that, you know, port A is connected to port B the way it should be. And, uh, you know, this is, you know, significantly improving the uh, the reliability of their installations and the accuracy of those. And you can imagine that just speeds up the deployment for them and and helps them in the long run.
0: Yeah, I can imagine that, you know, if you're talking about hundreds and hundreds, even thousands of ports, that even, uh, you know, a small rate of mistakes would have wide repercussions.
1: Yeah, 1% on uh, on on that box is still three ports that one misconfigured, configured,
0: right? So. <laughs> <laughs> Which is strange
2: when you think about it. Three ports isn't a lot, but, uh, you know, you think 1% doesn't sound like a bad defect rate until you're, you know, building data centers at scale. But there's also... Uh, I I would more imagine that if I was building this type of thing, I'd be looking for failed SFP modules because especially in the early days, 128 SFPs in a switch, you're starting to lose the ability to track those just by gut feel. And you need to have something that looks at, are they failing? Are the power levels dropping? And so you want the flexibility to do more than just, You know, test for cabling, you want to be able to keep building on that as time goes by, too. I think.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's the ongoing monitoring. And, you know, if you can do that and have derived statistics or or state uh, and health of a network element at the edge and know not necessarily having to collect, you know, reams and reams of data from every single port every single day forever, but only getting summarized information and notified when there's actually something that's deviating from what you were hoping, then that's actually, you know, a great use case. and one that we've also worked with customers on to build an agent for.
0: Now you mentioned uh, four four agents that this customer built. What's the last one?
1: (laughs) The last one's actually maybe the most interesting. They built an agent to manage their own agents. (laughs) <laughs> so <laughs> they, took it, they took it to the next level, uh, and it's a it's a great example. They may want to change the 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 Yang model, or what information they are pushing in, or even the the version of those agents. And so they've actually built a little agent which allows them to to push information back and forth to the device using our standard APIs, but uh, in the form of another agent.
0: Now that's really interesting because almost at the start of the discussion, I was thinking one of the drawbacks of being able to build applications for your network OS is that somebody has to maintain those applications and keep an eye on them and stuff. And they are essentially using this capability to help them with that problem.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And these these agents can all be, you know, loaded on uh, at any time during the lifecycle, including during the startup process of these uh, network elements, you can kind of build it in to the, the zero touch provisioning of these boxes. So although we can help you get them on there, there is still a lifecycle management. We'll monitor those applications, you know, as we do our other applications in SR Linux. But, mm-hmm. you know, in this case, they took it to the next level to, to do version control and, you know, changes, etc.
0: Well, this has been really interesting, John. Thank you uh, for joining us. Uh, if folks want to find out more about how they can get their hands on SR Linux and things they can do with it, where should they go?
1: Yeah, thanks for the time today. They can go to https://learn.srlinux.dev.
0: All right, that's learn.srlinux.dev. We'll have that and other links in the show notes. Uh, Thank you, John, for being with us, and thanks to Nokia for being a sponsor. Sponsors make everything we do here at Packet Pushers possible. If you like this episode, you can find it and many more fine free technical podcasts and our community blog. It's all at PacketPushers.net. You can follow us on Twitter at PacketPushers. Find us on LinkedIn, hear us on Spotify, and rate us on Apple Podcasts. And last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.